If you've got your message notes, I want to invite you to pull them out. I'm, I'm going to sit down today because this is a more of a heart-to-heart conversation that I want to have with this, this, this third message of the series. I believe God's going to do a work in some of your hearts today and, and reveal some, some, some ways to worship that will actually bring a lot of hope and a lot of healing to you during this season. Uh, we titled this series that we're in right now, Come to Worship. We'll end it on Christmas Eve with part four. Uh, part four is all about bowing our knee to Jesus. Uh, God's actually been revealing some things to me this week that just kind of put on my heart to study and look at some things that I'm rewriting the end of the message. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about why the virgin birth. Uh, what, uh, for whatever reason, God just dropped that on me this week and, and really asked me to look into it. And as I began to dive into why the virgin birth, why does it matter that Mary was a virgin? When, when you really begin to dig into it, you realize that it impacts our life today. Like it matters huge for you right now that Mary was a virgin. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that on Christmas Eve. But the whole series has come to worship. And the thought, the concept behind it is what would it look like if this Christmas we made it all about Jesus? Like, like if Jesus really was the center of Christmas, that, that we, we made it all about worshiping Him. You see, worship, the word worship means focused attention, focused adoration, focused, uh, you, you, just put, you put your focus on something. What if Jesus became the primary focus of our Christmas? What if he became the one that we worshiped most during the Christmas season? He became the center of it all. Not not a supporting cast, but the center. Like if you think about the nativity scene, at the center of the nativity scene is the manger. And in the manger is baby Jesus, and he should be the center of it all. But how many know there are a lot of things in our life that kind of push Jesus out of the manger and other things wind up in the manger. Other things end up getting our focused adoration. Other things end up getting our focused attention. Other things end up getting more worship out of our life than the whole reason we celebrate Christmas. Now, the truth is Jesus is in the scene. For, for all of us, He's in the scene, or you wouldn't be at church today. Like you wouldn't be in church a couple days before Christmas if Jesus wasn't in your Christmas story. But the question that I want to ask today is, is Jesus in the center of your Christmas story, or is he supporting cast? Is he, is he second fiddle? Is he, is he somewhere in the scene, just not in the manger? Something else took the spot in the manger, and it could be anything. For, for many of us, it's just tradition. Like we, we have made Christmas all about the tree and the presents and the family and the dinner and the meal, that, that that actually gets more focus out of our life than Jesus. We put more energy into the traditional elements of what Christmas is supposed to be to an American in 2019 than to, to the actual birthday of the Savior, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords that was given on our behalf. Now, if you're like a lot of us, young families, like we have two young boys at home, a two-year-old and an 11-year-old, uh, I don't know how many times you know, our children push Jesus out of the manger. Uh, I, I don't know if your kids ever do that, but kids have this nasty habit of moving Jesus out of the manger and getting in the manger and, and, and stealing all of your attention and all of it, especially during Christmas. And, and I'm not against you know, celebrating our children and loving our children and caring for them and giving them presents and trees and all of that. We do that as a family. 
But it's very, very easy in our family for the kids to get in the manger and Jesus to be over on the side with the wise men or the shepherds or somewhere else in the story, but not the center of the story. And the truth is, when Jesus is in the manger, when he's the center of it all, everything else you do during the holiday is so much more meaningful. The reason so many of us have that letdown feeling the day after Christmas, that empty feeling the day after Christmas, is we put all this hope and all this energy and really all this worship, because that's what the word worship is, is focus attention and focus adoration into this idea of what Christmas is supposed to be like, and that idea will never fulfill you, and and you will always feel empty the day after because it, it was never what it was created to be. But when Jesus is at the center of it all, everything else is so much more meaningful. So we we took the thought of the series out of the wise men's approach to Christmas. Now, the wise men, they travel hundreds of miles all the way from the Middle East into Jerusalem, and they come to King Herod, who's leader of the land at that time. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, they say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose. And here's here's what, what our goal this Christmas as a church has been. We have come to worship Him. We have come this Christmas to make it all about Jesus. We've come to make Him the focus, to give Him our adoration, to give Him our worship, to focus our attention on the King of kings and the Lord of lords to make it all about Jesus. Now, we looked at week one. One of the ways we worship biblically, uh, you see it all throughout the Bible, is we lift our hands to God. There's something about, about human nature. There's something that's kind of written into our genetic code that whatever is going on in our heart becomes very, very easy, especially if you have Italian heritage like me, is very, very easy to express with your hands. Like, like your hands become this, this reflection of what's going on in your heart. And, and lifting our hands is a reflection of celebration, joy, victory. It, it's also a sign of, of help and surrender. And it's just this very clear in Bible that God likes it when when we worship and when we sing to him, when we praise him, when we even pray that we lift our hands to him as a sign of what's taken place in our heart. Last week, we looked at a form of worship that you see in every, every worship service in the Bible had this involved in it, and that's the giving of gifts. And we're not talking about time and talent. We're not talking about like giving of ourselves. We're talking about giving of material gifts, giving of gifts that actually cost money, that actually cost us something. All throughout the Bible, when they worship God, they always brought gifts. They always gave offerings to God as a form of worship. And we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to look at something that's not going to be as obvious to, to some as an act of worship But when you really understand it and you study it, it's one of the most beautiful forms of worship uh, that I think we can actually be a part of. And and we see this phrase over and over and over throughout the Psalms, throughout the prophets, and it's this phrase, pour out your heart. This may not be obvious as a form of worship, so let me help you understand where it comes from. Pour out your heart. In the Old Testament, one of the offerings that they would bring before God was called a drink offering, a drink offering. There were many different types of offerings, grain offerings, offerings of incense, uh, animal offerings, animal sacrifice. 
But one of the offerings in the Old Testament was called the drink offering. It's where they would, they would take wine and they would pour it out before God. And it was always symbolic because the wine is symbolic of the Sabbath. It's something you, you celebrated with on the Sabbath day. So wine is symbolic of rest. It's, it's symbolic of peace. It's symbolic of victory. And, and it's poured out before God. Now, what's very interesting about the drink offering in the Old Testament, it's the only offering that the priests never shared in. The, the priests never got any of it at all. A hundred percent of it went to God and God alone. You see, all of the other offerings the priests could enjoy. The priest could eat some of the bread, could eat some of the grain, could eat some of the meat and, and share with his family. But the drink offering was the only one the priests could not share in, that it went entirely to God. It was poured out to God and to God alone. You see a form of this in King David's life when David, when the Philistines had seized David's childhood home. David was on one ridge overlooking his childhood home, and he says in the hearing of some of his special forces soldiers, he says, oh, that I could have a drink of water from the well of my childhood. Well, these men loved David so much that three of them, at risk of their own life, broke through enemy lines to draw water out of David's childhood well and bring it to the king for him to drink out of. And then David does something that, when we read it in our culture, can appear very offensive at first. That's why I always tell you, if you read something in the Bible you don't like, consider first it doesn't mean what you think it means, because you're reading it through the filter of 2019 as opposed to the culture of the day and age where it was written. And so David takes this water that the soldiers risked their life to bring the king, and he pours it out in front of the entire army. He says, it says, far be it from me that I drink of this, and he pours it out. Now, what he did was actually the highest way he could honor his soldiers. It wasn't offensive at all, because what he did was, instead of drinking it himself, he gave the water to God. He said, I will pour it out to God. This water is so holy because it costs the life of these three men that I as a king, I don't deserve to drink this water, but God alone deserves this offering. And so he elevates the life of these soldiers by saying what they did was so worthy and so deserving that God himself gets all of this offering and the king will have none of it. It's a beautiful thing, the drink offering. Now remember, everything in the Old Testament is always symbolic of something in the New Testament, and everything points to Jesus. So when you really study the drink offering, it points to Jesus. Jesus was our drink offering. Jesus, again, the wine is symbolic of blood. Jesus came as an offering, and he poured out his blood on our behalf as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could have peace and victory and rest because Jesus became the drink offering on our behalf. He was poured out before God. And so when you see this phrase over and over throughout the Psalms and throughout the prophets, pour out your heart, it's one of the highest forms of worship. It's one of the greatest offerings you can give God. You see, the heart is the part of the human body that, that controls the blood, that pumps the blood throughout the body. And so it's symbolic of us pouring our entire life out, the lifeblood of who we are before God as an offering. So in other words, it's not just worship of the mind, this is worship of the soul. We're pouring our soul out before God. We're allowing our heart to become a drink offering. We're worshiping God by pouring out our heart 
before him. And so as we get into the message today, there are some of you that are here today that, that honestly things are going very good for you in life right now. You're very, very blessed, and you're, and you're grateful for the goodness of God that is taking place right now in your life. And so what I'm going to invite you to do is pour out your heart in gratitude towards God. Pour out your heart in gratefulness for all that God has done for you. There's some of you that are here today that, uh, honestly, there's not much good going on. There's not much bad going on. It's just kind of blah. It's just kind of average. It's just You're just kind of existing through life right now. And what I'd like to invite you to do is just pour out your heart in hunger. Hunger for more of God. Hunger to go deeper with God today. Because sometimes during those existing phases when not much good, not much bad's happening, it's easy to, to, to just kind of lose our, lose our passion, lose our fire a little bit. So I'm inviting you to pour out your heart and hunger today. But for, for many of you, and, and honestly, this is the reason of the message today. There are many of you here today, things aren't good right now. Things are actually really, really bad in life. You're going through a very difficult, painful season of life. And I don't know what it could be. It could be a financial challenge that you're in the middle of right now, and you don't, you don't see the answer. You don't know how you're going to get through it. It could be a career thing. Maybe you're facing uh, layoffs at work, and, and you don't know if, if you're on the chopping block, and there's a lot of anxiety and stress right now. For many of you, it could be a health diagnosis that you've recently received, and, and it's scary. It really is frightening. For some of you, it could be a marriage that's falling apart or a family situation that's deteriorating, and you're scared, you're confused, you feel alone. For some of you, you're depressed right now, and there, there's anxiety in the middle of the season. I don't know why the holidays does that. I, I mean, I, I don't necessarily believe we have more problems during the holidays, but I think we feel it more. And, and there's, just, there, there's a lot of just depression right now and you feel alone. Even though you're, you're surrounded by people, you feel alone and you feel like nobody understands you. I'm going to invite you today to pour out your heart in desperation to God. Pour out your heart to Him as an act of worship. Come to Him and give your heart as a drink offering to God today. David in Psalm 142, verse 2 and verse 5, he's going through a very difficult time in his life. And again, a lot of the Psalms is David being challenged and David going through heartache and David going through pain. That's why I love the Psalms because it gives, it gives me encouragement and hope that God understands my bad days and I can take my bad days before God because over and over and over you see bad days being written about in the Bible. He says, I pour out my complaint before him. I pour out my, my complaint. I tell him my trouble. Have you ever felt like that, that's what your prayer life looks like? Like, like, I feel like I'm always complaining to God. I feel like it's just trouble after trouble, and it, and it hurts, and there's heartache. He says, I cry to you, Lord, and, and I say, and I love this because in the middle of his pain, in the middle of his heartache, in the middle of hurt and going through a difficult time, he declares truth. He declares truth, and it's probably a truth he doesn't feel, but he's declaring it as truth. He says, you are my refuge. And he says it in present tense. He doesn't say, you will be my refuge. He doesn't say, you were my refuge. He says, you are my refuge. In the middle of my trouble, in the middle of my pain, in the middle of my heartache, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. In Psalm 62, he says, trust in him at all times. You people, pour out your hearts to him. Pour out 
your heart. Give your heart as a drink offering, as a form of worship. Why? Because God is our refuge. Again, present tense. Not will be our refuge, is our refuge. See, when you study refuge in the Bible, there were six Levitical cities in the promised land that were cities of refuge, where if you accidentally killed somebody, you could flee and run and escape to one of the cities of refuge. And if you, if you made it to the city, you were safe. You found safety. Where is your safety? Where do you feel safe? Where is your refuge? You know, as children, we come up with safe places as kids. Remember, remember when you were young, you, you had safe places. For some kids, it was the closet. Uh, they felt safe if they were hiding in the closet. For me, the monsters lived in the closet, so the closet wasn't safe for me. Under the bed was safe for me. Some kids, like, they pulled over the blanket, and the blanket was in this invisible force field and made him feel safe. I would go under my bed when I was a child. I had one of those bedspreads that came all the way down to the floor, and it formed an invisible force field around my bed. It was a force field that monsters could not penetrate, so no matter what lived in the closet, I knew if I got under the bed, I was protected, and I was safe, and the monsters could not get under the bed because that was my refuge. It was my safe place. For some of us, as we grew up, our safe place actually became a person. When I was in seventh grade, my father left our family. It was a very difficult time. We moved to a small town in Texas, and, and, and I was different culturally than the kids who grew up in that town. I mean, I was, I was from a military family. We lived on bases all over the world. Uh, my father left, uh, moving into a small town. Seventh grade is not the easiest year uh, as a kid, especially when you're going through a lot of you know, personal tragedy and hurt and heartache. You go to school, you're different, you're culturally different. There's a lot of bullying that goes on. There's, there's a lot of getting picked on as a child. And I remember seventh grade was very difficult for me. You know, coming to a new school in a small town, not looking like anyone, not acting like anyone, having very different life experiences, not having a father at home. I used to get bullied a lot. It wasn't easy. Uh, until, that is, I made friends with my next-door neighbor. My next-door neighbor was in seventh grade, just like me, Andy Armandaris. He was huge. He was over six foot tall in seventh grade. He was on the football team. And for whatever reason, he took a liking to me, and we became friends, probably because we were next-door neighbors, and I'd go over to his house every morning, and, and I made sure I walked to school with Andy, because as long as I was with Andy, I was safe. Like, nobody picked on me if he was walking next to me. I mean, he was a good two feet taller than me. He was huge. He was strong. He was on the football team. And I knew if I was him, he was a place of refuge for me. I felt safe when I was Andy. You know, a lot, of, a lot of children feel that way about their parents. I remember growing up, there was a thunderstorm and lightning outside. We would run into our parents' room. Now, the reality was their room was no safer than our room was, but it felt safe because they were there, because of their presence. I, I love it when my children run to me. I don't know about you as a parent, but I love it when the kids run to me for help, when they run to me for safety, when they run to me because they're scared. It, it honestly, it makes me feel good as a parent that they feel safe with me. Uh, I love it when my, my two-year-old runs to me, he's scared, and, and you pick him up, and you feel his, his little body is all tensed and, and, and tight, and then all of a sudden as you hold him, you feel the body just begin to relax in your arms because they feel safe with you. 
it's an incredible feeling. I, I talk to parents who have kids who are out of college and even married, and they'll get in trouble, whether it's financial trouble or something else, and, and, and they call mom and dad. They call home, and, and honestly, those parents love it. They, it makes them feel good that still, even with adult children, that the kids feel safe with mom and dad. Can I tell you something about God? He is your father. He loves it when you run to him. He loves it when you make him a place of refuge, when you feel safe with him, when you get yourself in trouble, even trouble that you caused, even, even trouble that, that you made yourself foolishly. God loves it when you run to him and you feel safe to him and he becomes a place of refuge in your life. Just like I as a parent love it when my kid comes to me. So I'm going to talk about Pouring out your heart to God today. I'm going to give you three thoughts when it comes to pouring your heart out to God for for you to meditate on during this season as you learn how to make this a part of worship, as you learn how to allow your heart to become a drink offering, an act of worship to God. Here's the first thought. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. This is huge. Remember God's faithfulness in the past. God got you through that thing you thought was going to kill you 10 years ago, and you're here. You hear? It, it overwhelmed you 10 years ago. You told everyone around you, you didn't know how you were going to survive. You didn't know how you were going to make it through it. You didn't know how God was going to do it. And look at you 10 years later, you don't even remember it that well. It, it, it's not real to you. It, it's just something that happened, but it was so real to you in the moment, but God got you through it. Can I tell you, whatever you feel scared about right now, God was faithful to you yesterday. He'll be faithful to you today. If God got you through it yesterday, he's going to get you through it today. I mean, I look at my life. There's so many times where we go through challenges in life, and I feel like, "Ah, game over, it's over. You know, it was a good run. Uh, God got me this far, but I've blown it now. Uh, Problems are happening. Things are falling apart. Uh, You know, I I guess, you know, I I guess I better go figure something else out because it's like, you know, God, I don't know how God's going to get me through this situation. I don't know how God's going to get me through this season. But then I remind myself that if God was ever going to give up on me, it wouldn't be today. There were a lot better times for God to give up on me in my past. There were times in my past where I was so broken with sin and so messed up and so so like making the, the dumbest decisions and dumbest choices you could possibly imagine with my life that if God was ever going to give up on me, it would have been back then. So if God didn't give up on me back then when I was really stupid, like I'm a little stupid today, I was really stupid back then. If God didn't give up on me back then, why would God give up on me today? Remember God's faithfulness in the past. This is something David did that pulled him out of a lot of dark times. In Psalm 100, or excuse me, Psalm 42, uh, David's son Absalom just betrayed him. David's son Absalom threw him out of the city, tried to promote himself to be king, and David is now living in the wilderness being hunted by his son who betrayed him. In Psalm 42, David says, my tears have been my food day and night. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at the place where you're crying yourself to sleep night after night? Like you you go to sleep and your eyes are burning from the tears. You can taste the salt on your tongue from from the tears that that you've shed all night long when it just, it hurts and it aches and, and you don't see an end in sight. I mean, this is very real for David. I mean, this was his son who betrayed him. He says, while well, people say to me all day long, and, and you know, the devil loves to lie to you when you're hurting. The devil loves to confuse you. The people say to you all day long, where is your God? God's not on your side. If God was on your side, this wouldn't be happening. 
If God was on your side, your son wouldn't have betrayed you. If God was on your side, he would have never allowed this to happen to you. Where is your God? Your God doesn't love you. He's not for you. He's abandoning you. That's why this is happening to you. And then David does something very, very powerful in the middle of his hurt, in the middle of his pain. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, as I pour out my heart. I'm going I'm to remember God's faithfulness in the past. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. That, that God protected me when Saul was trying to kill me. And God protected me when the Philistines were trying to kill me. And God protected me against the lion and against the bear. And God brought me through situation after situation after situation. He was remembering God's faithfulness and the past. And so he says, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. So why, my soul, are you so downcast? Remember God's faithfulness. Remember what God did yesterday. Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. He's commanding his soul. He doesn't feel like it. He's in the middle of hell. He's in the middle of pain. He's in the middle of problems. He's in the middle of heartache right now. He's in the middle of being betrayed by his own son. But he's saying God was there yesterday. God got me through the most difficult times of my life. When, when, when Saul himself was trying to kill me, God rescued me and saved me. So Saul, put your hope in God. I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. These things I remember as I pour out my heart before God. Jeremiah in the Bible lived a very difficult life. Jeremiah preached for years and nobody responded. Nobody listened to him. In fact, they made fun of him. They persecuted him. They beat him. He went through, through problem after problem. It, it was so bad in Jeremiah, Jeremiah's life that he wrote an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations where he just complained about all the hard things that he went through and all the pain and all the suffering. In fact, in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, I'm the man that's seen affliction. You want to talk about problems? You want to talk about somebody who's seen pain, who's seen heartache, who's gone through difficult days? I'm that man. I'm that man. I, I've been through it. And for 19 verses, he, listened, he lists pain and anguish and complaints and heartache before God. And then in verse 19, it begins to shift. He says in chapter 3, I remember my affliction and my wandering, my bitterness and the gall. You ever felt that? Or like all you can remember, all you can see, all you can feel is the pain and the bitterness and the gall. You, you, you can't remember any of the good of your past because you're blinded by the pain of what you're going through right now. He says, I, we, I well remember them and my soul obviously is downcast within me. When, when you're dwelling about all of the pain and the heartache and, and all the, the, the hell that you've been through in life, your soul is going to be discouraged. So what does he do? Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This I call to mind. I'm going to choose to remember God's faithfulness in the past. And because I'm choosing to remember God's faithfulness, I now have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. God got me through it yesterday. He'll get me through it today. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He says, this I call to mind. God's faithfulness. 
You see, when I get discouraged, when I go through hard times, when I go through difficult seasons, when I feel overwhelmed, like I want to give up, like I want to quit, like I can't do it anymore, I remember God's faithfulness. This I call to mind. Christ saved me when nobody else believed in me. Christ delivered me from an impossible addiction that I lived with for years that I lost all hope of ever being free of. He gave me this incredible wife, two incredible sons. He provided for me in difficult times. I remember when our oldest son was a baby. He was one years old, just, just a baby. We, we took an opportunity that we thought was going to be a really good opportunity for our family. We relocated our family, and, and we made commitments financially to, to set ourselves up for the future where we, we really thought we were going to be. And after a few months of being there, we found ourselves in a situation where we were unemployed. We, we, we lost the opportunity that we thought we had. And I can't tell you the fear that I had driving home that day and having to tell my family that, that we don't have a salary anymore. Like we just relocated our entire family. We're married. We've got a baby. We just made a commitment to, to buy a home. We're, 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 we're stuck. And now all of a sudden there is no salary. I mean, there's fear. And then Satan comes in telling you, 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 you thought you did this for God. This wasn't God. You're foolish. You made a mistake. You made a bad choice. This is going to ruin you. You're done. And the fear. And I remember pouring my heart out before God. God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm scared. God, this is difficult. God, I don't, I don't, I don't know how we're going to get out of this situation. And in the middle of that pain, I began to remember God's faithfulness in the past. I began to remember that God got me through this, and God got me through that, and God showed up at this point in my life when I really needed Him to, and then God walked me through this when I had no idea how He was going to do it. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the pain, I began to remember His faithfulness, and it brought hope. I didn't know how God was going to do it. I didn't know where God was going to do it. I didn't know when God was going to do it. But I knew God was going to do it as I poured my heart out to Him. The second thing I want to encourage you to do when you pour your heart out to God is trust in God's power for your future. We remember His faithfulness in our past, and we trust in His power for the future. Uh, in Psalm 102, we have a psalm. We don't know who wrote it. It could have been one of the exiles who was taken to Babylon after Israel was destroyed by the Babylonians, and, and they lost everything. It was a very difficult time. could have been David, and we just don't know because it was unnamed. But in the psalms, they have titles that are part of the original text. They're not actually a verse, but it's a title in the original text. And the title of Psalm 102, I don't know if this relates to anybody today, but the title is A Prayer of one overwhelmed with trouble, pouring out problems before the Lord. Ever feel like that? Have you ever felt like you're overwhelmed with trouble? And it seems like every time you pray, you're just complaining, you're pouring out your problems to God. It's just like one thing after another. Can it get any worse? And you're just overwhelmed with trouble. Here's the good news. There's an entire psalm in the Bible for you of somebody who is in your shoes, who feels the way you felt. Let's look at a few of the verses. Verse 1, hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. God, I'm hurting right now, and I'm crying out to you, and I need you to show up because I don't know what to do. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. God, I need you to show up because I'm not going to make it. 
in my distress, in my pain, in my heartache, I groan aloud. I'm reduced to skin and bones. You ever gone through such a difficult season? You couldn't eat. You lose your appetite. You just don't, don't even have the energy to eat because of the emotional pain that you're carrying. He says, I lie awake. I have become like a bird alone on a roof. It's very dangerous to go through pain because especially us men, we like to isolate. We like to withdraw. We don't want to burden anyone else with what we're going through. And so, so we, we become like one alone. You can't make it alone. That's why we need each other. All day long, my enemies taunt me. For I eat ashes as my food and I mingle my drink with tears. It's like the tears are just day and night and it just hurts. So what happens? Verse 12, but you, Lord. Can I tell you, this phrase is coming in your life. There's going to come a moment when things begin to turn and you're going to be able to say in the future, but you, Lord, in the middle of my pain, in the middle of my heartache, I had no idea what you were going to do, but you, Lord, showed up. The whole chapter begins to shift. I love this. You, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Do you know what that means? God's going to be on the throne next week. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. God's going to be on the throne next week. God's not just king today. He's king tomorrow. And God's going to be on the throne next month. And God's going to be on the throne next year. And God is going to be on the throne 10 years from today. In fact, God is going to be on the throne a million years from today. He sits enthroned forever. He will be in your future. He will be in your tomorrow. You do not have to worry because God will be there tomorrow and he will still be large and in charge. He is King, you, Lord, sit on the throne forever. Your renown endures through all generations. He will respond. I'm telling you right now, he will respond to the prayer of the desolate. When you learn to pour your heart out in pain to God, when you learn to, to get vulnerable and transparent and go to God with your hurt, go to God with your burdens, pour your heart out to him, he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Sometimes you've got to push through the pain to a place of praise. You've got, you got to, in other words, let me put it like this. You have to learn how to thank God in advance. That's what I did during that season. In, in, the middle of the, in the middle of the confusion, in the middle of the hurt, in the middle of me trying to figure out how I'm going to provide for my family, how I'm going to provide for a new baby, as I began to remember God's faithfulness in the past, I began to trust in his power in the future, and I began to thank him in advance. I, I literally began to say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm just going to thank you right now that you're going to provide. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I'm thanking you in advance you're going to get me through this season. I'm thanking you in advance that you're going to take care of this. I'm thanking you in advance that you're going to be there because you sit enthroned forever. I love Philippians. Paul says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. God's not going to let you down now. He began the work in your life. He's not going to drop the work. He's going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Whatever it is, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, you can trust in God's power for your future. He's going to carry you through the future. He's going to be there tomorrow. Pour your heart out to God. He can handle it. But you, 
Lord, remember his goodness as you cry out. Remember his faithfulness in his past. Trust him for his power in your future. And then here's the last one. Live in God's grace for today. This one's huge. Learn to live in God's grace for today. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. All the grace you need, he is able to make sure you have that you always having all sufficiency in all things. He's going to give you everything you need. Everything you need, he's going to provide. He's going to give you so that you can have an abundance for every good work. God has good works for you. You are on earth for a reason. Your life is not an accident. There is a purpose to why God designed you, to why God created you, and to why God puts you here, which means every challenge you face, every problem, every trial, every heartache, God is going to give you everything you need to face every day of your life. Here's the key. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. Give us today, today, not tomorrow, today, our daily bread. Not weekly bread, not monthly bread, not yearly bread. No, give me today everything I need to get through today. God, I need today, not tomorrow, I need today what I need to get through today. Don't give me what I need tomorrow, give me what I need today. You'll show up tomorrow. See, here, here's, here's the principle. God only gives you enough grace to face today. This is critical for you to understand. You only have enough grace to face today. He does not give you grace for tomorrow, today. But he will meet you tomorrow morning with a fresh batch of grace to face tomorrow. But today, he's only given you enough grace to face today. Here's the problem many of us have. Most people try to battle three days of problems with one day of grace. You can't fight three days of problems with one day of grace. It'll overwhelm you and kill you every time. And the reason some of you are overwhelmed right now is because you're fighting against three days of problems and God has only given you one day of grace. You'll, you'll never have the ability to win. That is a losing fight every single time. What do we do? We bring in the regret of yesterday. We've got regrets of the mistakes we made yesterday, and we're carrying around the regret. We're carrying around the shame. We're carrying around the guilt. That's one day of problems. And then we have the worry of tomorrow. We're afraid about tomorrow. We're worried about how we're going to face tomorrow. That's two days of problems. And then we've got the issues of today. We've got what we're going through right now. That's three days. You have one day of grace, and you're fighting three days of problem. That's why the Bible says we forget that which is behind. I can't, I, I can't live in regret of yesterday. I'm forgiven. God has forgiven me of yesterday. I don't carry the shame. I don't carry the guilt. I don't have to carry the regret. Jesus carried it on the cross. So I forget that which is behind me. I don't deal with yesterday. I can't go back and change it. I can't do anything about it. All I can do is let it go because I've been forgiven. I don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. I'll be there. I'll show up. I sit enthroned forever. Like I will be there next week. So you don't have to worry today about what you're going to do next week because I will be there next week and I will help you and I'll give you everything you need to face next Thursday when you get to next Thursday. But don't sit here and worry about next Thursday today because I haven't given you the grace for next Thursday yet. When you wake up Thursday morning, guess what? I'll give you the grace. 
but don't live freaked out about it today. I've given you grace for today. We see this beautifully illustrated in the Old Testament. The children of Israel, after they left Egypt, they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years, and they complained against God, and and one one of their complaints is, we're hungry. We had food in Egypt. We don't have food out here in the wilderness, so God said, I'll feed you. I'll give you food every day, and I'll give you food called manna. Manna was like a bread-like substance, and and God said, I'll give you enough manna for each day, but don't try to store up manna. So it says in Exodus 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. So I'm going to give you everything you need for today. Like, like take all that you need to feed yourself today. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. They had just what they needed. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. They had just what they needed. God will give you everything you need for today. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Don't worry about tomorrow. Trust God for tomorrow. God will give us fresh manna tomorrow. God is not giving you manna today for tomorrow. So don't try to keep any of what I give you today for tomorrow. In other words, don't try to fight more than one day of problems with one day of grace. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. However, there are some people that didn't listen. And can I tell you that this happens all the time? People are carrying regrets of yesterday. They're carrying worry about tomorrow. And they've only been given one day of grace. And they've got a lot of issues for today. And it's killing them and overwhelming them. They paid no attention to Moses. And they kept part of it until morning. And and let me tell you what you look like spiritually when you try to battle three days of problems with one day of grace. It was full of maggots and began to smell. Some of you spiritually, that's what you look and feel like. And and we can smell it, to be very honest. I mean, you're not hiding the stench. Like, if you've ever been around somebody who's fighting three days of problems with one day of grace, you can smell it on them. You can see it on their face. You can see it in their attitude. You can can see it all over them because they smell. They smell. Not, Not a physical smell, but a spiritual smell. You smell it on them. And they're rotting away. They're full of maggots. It doesn't work. I mean, this is a really ugly picture, but it's true. I mean, this, this is what happens to us spiritually when you try. You've got to let go of yesterday. Accept forgiveness from God. Let go of yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. He sits enthroned forever. Live in the grace you've been given today. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. So let me, let me close like this. Uh, back in Lamentations, Jeremiah says, pour out your heart like water. Your heart is a drink offering. It's a form of worship. It's a beautiful expression of worship in the Old Testament. God, I give you it all. I don't give it to anyone else. I give you all of my heart. And I know it's hard because some of you have poured out your heart to people and you've been betrayed. Some of you tried that and you poured out your heart to the wrong person and they used the information against you and they hurt you with it and they betrayed you and they stabbed you in the back and they misuse the information, and you pour it out your heart, and then all of a sudden your heart got hard. And you're like, I'm not doing that again. I learned my lesson. I poured out my heart, and it hurt. Can I tell you, God is a refuge. He's a safe place you can pour your heart out before. And the beauty of pouring your heart out before God is it all goes to God. It was the one offering in the Old Testament, 100% of it went to God, like water in the presence of the Lord. Now, let me give you the invitation and the why. I'm going to invite you to do this, and I'm going to tell you why. 
Give all your worries and cares to God, Peter says. Pour your heart out to God. Give, take all your problems, everything you're worried about, every, every, all the anxiety, all of the stress, all of the fear, all of the pain, all of the heartache. Give it all to God. Why? Because he cares about you. He cares about you. He loves you. He wants it all. Just like as a father, I love it when my son runs to me. It makes me feel good as a father. Whatever you're going through right now, you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to feel like you've disappointed God. You don't need to feel like God's upset with you. You know, one of the biggest lies I hear Satan plant in people's ears is the phrase, I should know better. I don't know if you've ever said that. I, I used to say it a lot. I should know better. I can't go to God. I should know better. God already helped me with this once. I can't go back to God about the same thing again. I should know better. I should know better. At the end of the day, when my, my two-year-old started walking when he was around 12 months old, when he would fall, I didn't get upset with him. I didn't say, you should know better. You took one step yesterday. You should be able to do it again today. No, I, I picked him up every time because I knew he was eventually going to get it. God knows you're eventually going to get it, and it doesn't matter how many times you fall. It doesn't matter. Satan has used that phrase to haunt people. I should know better. I should know better. I can't go to God again. Again? I told God I'd never do this again, and I did it again. I should know better. Can, can we just delete that phrase from your mind? Let's just stand against that lie right now. It's a lie. God is a loving Father. He wants you to run to Him. He is your refuge. He is a safe place. You can pour out your heart. And, and if you'll spend some time remembering His faithfulness in your past and trusting in His power for your future and living in His grace for today, you're going to see yourself come through this situation in ways you never believed possible. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to come before you today and pour out our heart before you. As we sing this, this final song of worship together, God, I pray that while we sing the song, during this song, we'll open up our heart to you. And God, we'll learn to trust you. We'll learn to allow you to be the refuge, the safe place that, that we're longing for. To bring you the most intimate, vulnerable areas of our heart and lay them before you as an act of worship. Because you and you alone are going to get us through what we're facing. And so God, we're just going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do. We don't know what you're going to do. But we thank you in advance that you're going to do it. In Jesus' name.